All right. Let's have a word of prayer here this morning, and then we'll get started with our message. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for your amazing love that was demonstrated by your willingness to send your only begotten Son into the world to die in the place of sinners like us. I pray that we would see that we had a need that was great, that was impossible for us to overcome on our own, apart from spending eternity in the lake of fire. That's the only solution we had to the debt we owed was to pay it ourselves. But thank you that you saw fit to send your son as a worthy, satisfactory payment for all of our iniquity and our sinfulness so that we could be made right with you without having to die ourselves so that we could be born into your family, that we could be given a promise that you would never let us go and that we would have everlasting life, that we would have no fear of death. Thank you that you did that. Pray that we would keep the focus of the gospel exclusively on you, your finished death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. And that we would keep the focus of the gospel on the fact that it's a gift that is freely offered to every man, woman, and child on planet earth. And that you're not willing that any would perish. That you want everybody to accept that gift that you offer. Pray that we could be ambassadors for you and proclaim that message of hope to others and effectively tell them about how easy salvation is. That it comes through faith alone, by grace alone, and your finished work alone. And so as we think about our mission, pray that you'd keep us focused on the prize. Keep us focused on the race that you've asked us to run where we are called to be lights in the darkness and to shine your light by telling people about who you are and what you've done for them. Pray that we would make it clear to people that their only part in it is they either receive and trust and believe in what you've already done, accept it as a gift, or they make a decision to live life apart from you and to reject you, but then have to deal with the consequences of that. Pray that we could keep always the focus on you and the things that we say and do in our lives. Pray that you would allow us to live lives that would have value, that would redeem the precious time that you've given us, that we wouldn't just waste our lives caught up in all of the things that the world says will satisfy that are maybe provide joy for a moment, but it never lasts. Pray that we would see that true lasting joy can only be found in a right relationship with you by living life with you, trusting you, depending on you, and letting you lead and direct on our lives so that our lives could be worthwhile in light of eternity. Pray that we would desire that for ourselves and for the other believers that you've put in our lives that we could even be praying those things for one another. Thank you for all of those things. Pray that you'd give me wisdom as I speak this morning so that what would be said would be useful and clear and accurate. Thank you again that you're such a great and wonderful, amazing and awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see from the screen here this morning, the title of our morning sermon is Counted Worthy. Counted Worthy. And as you think about what do we mean by, by things that are worthy? Well, it's, it's an easy definition. For something to be worthy, it has to have worth or value. So we're really talking about counted to have value or something of value. And as you think about your life, and I touched on this in my prayer a bit, you have a certain fixed amount of life to live. In fact, your greatest resource, whether you, re- you realize it or not, your most valuable resource is your time. The amount of time that God has blessed you with to use here in this life. And as you think about that, it's, a, it's like having a bank account of time that you're withdrawing from each day, but 
unbeknownst to you, that bank account of time has a fixed amount of time in it. Now, now really consider that for a second. Your bank account of time is fixed and it's, it's settled. There's no adding to it. There's only taking away from the amount that was available. And so each day you withdraw from that bank. You, re, you withdraw from that bank of time that God has given you without knowing how much you have left. And so oftentimes we have a habit of presuming uh, the danger of being presumptive, the danger of assuming, is that we even assume and presume that we have a lot of time left. Because perhaps you've known people that have lived to be a, a very old age. And so you assume you'll be one of them. But the truth is that there's no guarantee that that will be true. In, in fact, your finite fixed amount of account in your, in your bank account of time may be drawing lean. It might be running out. But you don't know that. And so you have to see every moment, every breath that God has given you as extremely valuable and ask yourself, when I withdraw another moment, withdraw another day's worth of time, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to use this time in a way that would be worthwhile in light of eternity? Or am I going to use this time in a way that would be worthless in light of eternity? Now, Again, there's a human perspective on what's worthwhile and what's worthless. But in light of spiritual truths that are revealed in God's word, in, in light of eternal truths that God says are forever, that they're fixed, God says there's very specific, useful, worthwhile uses of the time that I've given you, and he lays them out in his word. And so the question is, will I use, will I trust God, will I believe him that Investing my time in those things, in those ways, with those priorities, with th- that focus, with that mentality, with that mindset, that that's the way to redeem that time and, and make it worthwhile instead of making it worthless. Well, those are the only two options you have, though. You see, at any moment, it's either one or the other. You're either using the time that you withdrew from that account in a way that has value in an eternal spiritual from an eternal spiritual perspective or you're wasting your life. And you think about all of the time that gets wasted. Because we are so prone to distraction, because we're so prone to being captivated by all of these things that the world and our friends and people who have worldly, a worldly mentality, people in our life, influences in our life, social media, television, all of these different um, sources of information that are bombarding our minds, we're so easily convinced and captivated by these other things that we are told, we are led to believe they have value. And some of them have r- on a relative level, they, they have value in a, hu- on, in a human way. Meaning that, say for example, is there value to investing a bunch of time into something that you find to be enjoyable and trying to be your very best or do your very best at that thing? And the answer is, yes, it can be valuable in a temporary, earthly kind of a way. It could also, though, wait for it, it could be valuable in an eternal way at the same time its value in a temporal, earth, 
earthly kind of a way too. And you say, how could it be both at the same time? And the answer is that because God isn't as focused on exactly what it is that we're doing, as he leads and directs, there's certain things that we choose to do. We have a lot of freedom in Christ. It's not bondage in Christ. We have a lot of freedom in the Christian life. But as we exercise that freedom to make choices, we choose to spend time on certain things. And here's how it could be both valuable in this life and valuable in the eternal life is, how about if we do those things in a way that includes God in them? How about we do those things in a way that our mind and our thinking is still affected by Him and we're considering how would He want me to conduct myself as I'm going about this thing that I chose to do that I find joy in. And let's, some of you know that I'm a junior high girls basketball coach. We'll pick in, we have some basketball players here in our audience too. We'll pick on basketball players. Is there anything wrong with baskets, basketball playing? No. Anything wrong with doing it as well as you could or investing time into it? No. As long as while you're doing it, you don't all of a sudden adopt this mindset that this is the most important thing in my life, that it's more important than who I am to God, the mission that he's assigned to me, the mission that he's given me to be a light for him in everything I do. So can you play basketball, practice basketball, shoot hoops, engage with other people that are doing that? Can you do it in a way that would bring God honor and glory? And the answer is yes. Can you do it in a way that includes him? Yeah. Can you also do it in the wrong way though? In a way that leaves, leaves him in the gym locker every time you go out on the floor. A way that leaves him at home as you head off to that event that leaves him on the bus while you go out to play that game that leaves him in your duffel bag when you're out there with your friends and and he's not on your mind at all you're not seeking to be a light for him while you're doing that you're not giving him glory for any success that you may or may not have point just being it's it's about a worthwhile or a worthless life is not about the things that you're doing so much as it is about the mindset behind the things that you're doing are you going to include God and live life with him allow him to lead and direct give you his perspective in whatever it is that you're doing now I will tell you this that there's obviously some limits to that in the sense that we're talking about Christian liberty where there's a lot of things that are not prohibited by God's word he doesn't say anything about them being bad or harmful or or negative, but then we can also talk about there's a clear realm of things that you could spend your time on that are overtly ungodly because God says they directly violate his character. They, they violate his will for your life. He says do not do these things because they're detrimental to your physical well-being. They're detrimental to your spiritual well-being. They're detrimental to your effectiveness as a witness and a testimony for me. They undermine the message that I've assigned to you to proclaim loudly into the places and spaces that I direct you. And so don't get the idea that everything is, is free game or everything falls within that realm of permissive, the permissive will of God. I don't even like that phrase. The Christian liberty or, or God allowing us a lot of freedom to make choices in our lives. Because not everything falls into that. But when you talk about the vast majority of choices and things that you could do, the focus isn't so much on the things, but it's on the mentality and the attitude. And are you going to do it as unto the Lord with, your, with Him being a part of it and including Him in it and having that mindset of trying to be a light for Him in whatever it is you do? And so Paul talks about this topic often, this, this topic of redeeming the time that we have 
here on earth. And in today's installment of Paul's prayers, because we're doing this series on Paul's prayers, he prays that these believers in Thessalonica would spend their time on earth living in a manner that would honor and exalt God. But you're going to see that he doesn't get into the details so much of what that looks like, because again, living to exalt, lift up, make God bigger, magnify God, it's not so much about the specifics as it is about the mindset, the priority, the attitude, the perspective behind it all. So if you haven't turned there, you see up on the screen at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we were there for our last prayer too. We looked at earlier in the chapter another prayer that was recorded. Now we're going to look at verses 11 and 12, Lord willing, this morning. Let's start though by reading them together. 2 Thessalonians 1, we're going to pick up in verse 11. Now remember, Paul is on a mission trip here. He's with at least two people that are identified at the beginning of the letter, Sylvanus in verse 1 and Timothy. So Paul's a part of a mission team. And we pick it up because we use this word we again. So he's again corporately praying with other believers. Some of you need to ask yourself, when is the last time I ever did that? One of the nice things about even Wednesday nights here at this church is that we try to make time afterwards for a couple of people, you know, it's not everyone, but people sit together and you can pray for things so that you could say, we were praying for you. Uh, you can do that with your family too. You can do that with a friend. We were, we were praying together. It, it's not something that's meant to only ever be done individually. It's something where we can talk to God with other people who are God's children. Remember, anyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ is God's child. If they're God's child and you're God's child, what does that make you? It makes you siblings. It makes you brothers, brothers or brother and sister, brothers and sisters in Christ. So brothers and sisters talk to their parents together, don't they? Sometimes don't you sit around with more than one sibling and have a conversation with a parent? Well, this is what is happening here. It was recorded earlier and now we have it here again. They're praying together. Verse 11, therefore, we also pray always, so the word is, means constantly, for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's quite a bit packed into those two verses. We'll move through it here and bring out just a few things, unpack it a little bit to dig deeper. But Second Thessalonians 1.11 here, Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. So we think about this verse here. Therefore we also pray always for you. We're not going to go into that in as great detail as we have in the past because the reality is that we know that Paul is a prayer warrior. We know Paul is a man of prayer. If you haven't figured that out yet, I, I hope you're getting it. Mean, we're 24 lessons into Paul's prayers here. Paul is about prayer. He believes in the power of prayer. He understands that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He understands casting all our cares upon him, for he cares for you. How do you think you would do that? By talking to God. By talking to your Savior, Jesus Christ. We even brought out that he, he talks to all parts of the, of the Trinity in the sense that he talks to, addresses even one of his prayers we looked at, to Jesus Christ and to God the Father. We're talking to God. 
You know, three, three distinct parts, but yet one God. Talking to God. Praying our way through the day is what we've been talking about as we've been looking at this. Not, not just trying to pin God down into these certain boxes and these certain places in our lives, but to have God be the umbrella that is over our whole life. Not just here on Sunday morning when you made a decision to come here to church. Great, great choice. Because at least you invested and set aside some time for spiritual matters. Of all of the time that you're bombarded with everything else, here's some time to set aside for spiritual matters, for spiritual encouragement, for teaching, for encouragement, for edification, to build up other people, to rub elbows with other believers who have like precious faith, to spend time with your family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, great choice. But Christianity isn't reserved to this time that we meet on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. It's not reserved to the times that we pray before we eat a meal. It's a, Christianity is supposed to be a way of life where we're living life as a child of God. We're living life with God. It's the umbrella over our whole lives. So as we're thinking about even these prayers, that's been true as we've been seeing that Paul has this great fervor, this great interest, this he place, places great value on prayer. So he says, therefore, we also pray always for you. Now, that word therefore, it carries the idea of with with this in mind, and it refers back to his discussion that he was having previously in, in the verses that just lead up to this about the Lord's return. So in light of the fact that the Lord's return is imminent is a way that you could think about this. We keep praying for you. And you think about that. Paul understood that the time that that we have here on earth is fleeting. He understood that we don't have a lot of time. In fact, he expected that the Lord would return in his lifetime just like John expected that the Lord would return in his lifetime. As we think about believers, we are supposed to be living in light of the great hope that we have that the Lord is coming back again. That we are going to be reunited with our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We are going to be reunited with him either through our own death as we then go to be with him immediately or through his return, through the the rapture, when he comes to call his own. And you think about that, that should give us great hope. And Paul was looking forward to that, knowing that it could be any day. Now, they had questions, though, just like you maybe have questions. Is it it wrong to wonder why why has the Lord waited to return so long? Remember that when he left the earth, the things that he said to the to his followers, to, to his disciples, he, he said, don't be sad. I'm going for a while, but I'm going to come again, and I'm going to redeem you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. He, he told them, I'm coming again. And as you think about God, Jesus telling them that this was temporary, the idea that they would have was that In the time that you have in between, what did he tell them he wanted them to do? He told them he wanted them to be bright lights for him. He wanted them to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. He wanted them to proclaim the goodness of God into the darkness all around them. He said, among whom, Paul says, you shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Is this world crooked? This world is crooked. And if, and if you're not sure about that, all you'd need to do is be honest with yourself and remember that you're crooked. So if you're crooked and you're in this world, guess what? The world is crooked too. Now, very often, I can't get off track here too much. Very often, 
we look at the crookedness of the world and it's easy for us to see that. But I spoke about this recently when I talked about evil. We do the same thing with evil too. We can always, we can always see evil elsewhere with, and then forget that we're a part of that. We have a sin nature. We all seek their own. We have that mentality. We have a me first, me on the throne, exalt me, put myself above all else. We have that tendency. And when we, the expression of that tendency, when it comes down to the detail side of that, is very ugly at times. It ruins relationships. It strains marriages. It causes divorces. It causes crimes. It causes abuses of many different kinds. It causes all kinds of manifestations of evil and hurt and harm that make this world very ugly at times, doesn't it? But it all starts in one place. The selfishness, the self-centeredness of man. And none of us are immune from it. So as you think about all of those things, aren't we looking forward to the day when we would be freed from all of that? Where we get to be with the Lord. Where we, we get to see what God had in store for us from the very beginning. And so the disciples, they were getting a little bit bummed out. They were getting discouraged because they said, why hasn't he come back yet? He said he would be gone and he would come back. Why hasn't he come back yet? Well, Peter has a good answer to that. He's, he said, God is not, no, there's no reason to doubt God. God has never failed yet. He won't fail now. God is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, meaning he's not somebody who goes back on his word like some men do. But instead of being somebody who goes back on his promises, the thing that is delaying him, he said, is that God is long-suffering, and he's not willing that any would perish. That's why God hasn't returned yet. He's given man every free opportunity to respond to his truth, to respond to this life-saving message of hope that is found in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the substitutionary death of Christ as he paid the debt for us and offers as a free gift eternity. Do you want eternity? Well, you're going to experience eternity one way or the other, friends. You're either going to experience eternity apart from God in the place that he created for the demons and Satan, or you're going to experience eternity in the perfect place that he, provi- he prepared for those who he loves. A- and you make your choice, but the choice is simple. I either accept this gift that God offers me and put my faith in what he did for me on Calvary and I trust in nothing else and no one else and I give up on anything else that I had put in, putting my confidence in. In that moment, I am sealed in God's family and I have assurance that I will one day go to enjoy that heaven that he prepared for me. You either do that or you, can be, you should be very fearful of death. Because it's not going to be bright for you. It's going to be sadness and darkness that never stops. Weeping and wailing that never stops for all of eternity. And God didn't design that or want anybody to experience that. And that's why his return has been delayed. As we come back to our passage for this morning though. He's referring to the Lord's return when he says, therefore. So in light of how soon the Lord could return, I want him to find you prepared. I want him to find you going about the work that he assigned you, going about his business. 
I, I want, I want, I'm praying that Christ would return and find you doing the things that would be promoting him so that you could be expecting to hear a well done, thou good and faithful servant, that you would have a sense of not fear or dread to face the Lord, not because you think he'll cast you out of his family, but you're, you're sort of ashamed of the evaluation that he would give when he returned, seeing that you hadn't, you hadn't had any concern for the important things that he had assigned to you or asked you to do. Much like a child who has been asked to accomplish some important task by their parent or a loved one who, who said, hey, could you do this while I'm gone? And that child gets caught up in their own things and doesn't do that. When the child returns, when the child realizes that the return of the father is imminent, that child starts to panic, right? We call it panic cleaning our rooms, right, kids? Okay, some of, we, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Panic cleaning is when you have that unexpected guest. You you didn't quite get to it soon enough. Okay, and and you got sweat running down your face as you're shoving things under different things and into different things and just hoping for the best that maybe they would stop by and somehow they would be convinced that you really do have your life together. (laughs) You're not fooling me, I know. (laughs) Because I know what my life is like. But kids do that, right? Oh, man, yeah, Dad, I, the one thing I was supposed to do all day long, and I hear the car in the driveway. <laughs> is that how you want to face the return of your heavenly Father? Is that how you want to face the return of Jesus Christ? Completely unprepared, not, do, not going about his work, just living for self doing your own thing. Frankly, that's what this message is about. If, if I'm losing you already, that's the takeaway. How, how do you want to face the Lord's return? Because that's what Paul's prayer is occasioned by. He's saying, in light of knowing that the Lord's return is imminent, I keep praying always for you. Now, we pray always for you. Again, it's confirming Paul's continual concern for others. I hope you're getting this in Paul's prayers. He's very concerned about other people. If God loved us that much, brothers, in 1 John chapter 4, John says to his audience, he says, if God loved us that much, shouldn't we love one another that much? Instead of being so selfish, shouldn't we love one another the way that he loves us? Selfless and sacrificial love. In any event, that's why he's praying for people because he cares about people. You won't pray for people that you don't care about. I've been saying that throughout this series. Now, there's three things that are going to be listed that ultimately contribute to Paul's primary prayerful desire. Now, his primary desire is that we would glorify the Lord by having lives that would be worthwhile. That's the primary thing. But he talks about three specific things that contribute or relate to that. And they all relate to this concept of redeeming the time here that we have here on earth as believers. God has given believers a certain fixed amount of time and how do you use it wisely? So then you come to this phrase that our God would count you worthy of this calling. And this is the first of these, these three phrases, these th- three things. Now, this refers to God's future evaluation of each believer's earthly walk. It also refers to his present evaluation of how are we living our lives. Is God present everywhere at all of the time? Yes. God lives inside of you. So there's no place you could go that God's love couldn't find you because the love of God is inside of you. 
The Spirit of God is with you. The fruit that the Spirit of God produces in your life, the first thing is love because God is love and the Spirit of God is inseparable from God because it's one triune, complete God and the Spirit of God lives in you. So God's love is always with you. Have you ever thought about that? But if there's no place you could go where God couldn't find you because he's with you, you're his child, there's nothing that you're saying or doing that God isn't aware of. That should be sobering to some extent. There's nothing that is hidden from him. We go about trying to sneak our way through life, bend the rules, skirt the rules, do the bare minimum, just get by in an effort to lift ourselves up and promote ourselves. And there's nothing hidden from God, though. He's with us all of the time. And so as you're thinking about that God would have a favorable evaluation of you, it's now in time, but you're going to stand before the Lord in the future too and, and give an account of the time that you've had here on earth. And you're either going to receive rewards for faithful service or you're not going to receive rewards. It's not about are you going to be evaluated to determine if you're going to heaven or not. Heaven is a gift that is given to sinners. If you put your faith in Christ, you already have your future sealed in heaven. It's a a fate that is 100% reliable that you can know that you have eternal life. But God also says, on top of that, as if that weren't great enough, I plan to reward those that use the time, give them extra rewards, those that use their time to faithfully serve me here on earth. So you could get in on that or you could miss out on that. You could suffer a sense of loss, not a loss of heaven, but a loss of those rewards if you're not willing to live your life in a way that would bring God honor and glory. Now, here's the catch in all of it. Some of you are like, it's selfishness that's stopping me from living life for Jesus Christ. I'm too fixed on myself to do that. And here's a little bit of a nugget for you, a newsflash for you. Your selfishness, if you had any understanding should cause you to want to live your life with Jesus Christ. If you were truly self-serving and doing what was in your own best interests, you would do the thing that God says will bring you the greatest amount of joy, peace, happiness, contentment, and purpose in this life. God knows infinitely more than you know, and he knows infinitely more than any direction your flesh would lead you or yourself would lead you. You think that you're actually trading God in for a better life, a life that would bring you more joy, but you're deceived. This life that you think will be so wonderful apart from God in your life, doing your own thing, it's not so wonderful. It's in fact awful. It's in fact depressing. It in fact is hopeless. It in fact will never satisfy So if you could become convinced that God is good and God is for you and everything he ever had to say to you in in his word was for your benefit and for your good, you would realize that when he says, living life in dependence on me, investing in life with me, enjoying a relationship with me is the best life possible. Do you believe that this morning? If you were truly self-serving, you would jump on that wagon, right? You'd say, I'll take that. That sounds pretty good. You have to be somebody who's actually a little bit daft 
to know that and at the same time say, but I don't want that. I want hopelessness, despair, misery. We are so goofy. And nobody's immune from it. Because the flesh is the heart of man. When he's, when he's talk, in that sense, he's talking about the fleshly part of man. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We are so easily conned and deceived. You know, at camp, a, a gal at camp sent me this letter. They have mail time at camp. She sent me this letter because she, I guess she thought that I should get some mail too. Other kids were getting mail and packages. So she sent me this letter. On the outside, it just says Pastor Gus, and, it, and then she has her name on it, and it's got a fake stamp. I'm talking about how easily conned we are. Young, young gal, I think she's 10, maybe 11, she wrote me this letter. Dear Gus, we have been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. Please place your hand here, I think that was to get my fingerprints, and your credit card here. What a nice note. <laughs> I'm not making fun of people who are drawn into these scams. Some of them are very elaborate, and some of them are very believable. I think the moment you think you could never fall for one of these many different scams that they come up with, you're probably on the road to falling for one of them. My point in this is we are easily led astray. We are easily led astray. And we have this time that we're given. God is evaluating it in a sense, not, not like in this formality kind of a way, but God's seeing everything that's happening and He's making He's either pleased or he's not pleased. So we're talking about lives that are pleasing to God in time and then lives that will be pleasing to God in the future as he evaluates our earthly walk. So that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Is, that's what we're talking about. So count you worthy, it's all one word in the original Greek language and it means to consider something to be worthwhile, valuable, honorable, or right. Worthwhile, valuable, honorable, or right. That God would count you, and he's talking about your life here on earth, your walk here on earth, to be worthwhile, valuable, honorable, or right. Now as we think about that calling, that refers to an invitation to take part or participate in something. Every person on earth has been invited to come to God through faith in Jesus Christ and then to live life by faith in continuing dependence on God's provision for their every need and to trust God and allow God to direct and provide for his or her life. Every person on earth has received that invitation. That's what we think about a calling. God is calling sinners to come home. To call, he's calling every man to be saved. He wants every person to put their trust in him, and that's just part one. 
You put your faith in Christ. You're born into God's family. Your position in Christ is now sealed. Your future is now sealed in heaven. And then he says, and now I want you to trust me. I want you to live life with me for the remainder of the time that you have here on earth. Will you do that? I'm going to give you every tool. I'm going to give you every blessing that you need to live that life. Will you do that? I'm going to empower you with my spirit so that that way of life, that way of thinking could be possible. Will you appropriate that? Will you tap into that? Will you grab a hold of that? Will you see that that's the only way that you're going to thrive in this life? So then the question really comes down to, are you living life in a way that has lasting value? That's the central question. Paul's prayer is that God would count you worthy of this calling. We're summarizing that. Are you living life in a way that has lasting value? It's worthwhile. See, God desires his children to live in a way that exalts him. And that has nothing to do, this, this has nothing to do with being worthy of heaven. There was none worthy of heaven. There was none righteous, no, not one. All had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were all viewed as dead in trespasses and sins. When we were God's enemies, he reconciled us to himself through the work of his son. When we were God's enemies, it wasn't because we were so lovely. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound Why is grace so sweet? Because it makes it possible to save a wretch like me. God came to seek and to save those who were lost, but that was everyone whether they understand that or or they realize it or not. Every person was in that same boat. And so God then, he desires that we live lives in a way that would exalt him. That's what it means to count you worthy, not worthy of heaven, but to live lives in a way that are worthwhile and bring God honor and glory. Now, Paul discusses this idea of living worthwhile lives, lives that lift up Jesus Christ, lives that exalt Jesus Christ, that bring God honor and glory several times in his various letters. I want to turn to a few of them here this morning, but we're going to try to do it fairly quickly. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And I'm going to put it on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. But these passages in our Bibles, they're addresses in a sense. You have to, you have to actually learn where they are. And so you can get cheat, kind of cheater Bibles like this one. You see how there's little, there's little indentations along the edge of the Bible so that if you actually look at them, it'll have the first three letters of every book and then when you put your thumb on it, it'll help you to get to that. So if you're new to the Bible, you might want to think about a Bible that has little indents like that. Then in the front of your Bible, you're going to have a list of all of the different books of the Bible in the order that they're in. And so if you're not familiar with that order, you could seek to spend some time looking at it. The other thing is if you're really interested in actually learning where things are in your Bible, one, just spending time in it will cure itself. The other thing though is that there's many different songs that you could Google on YouTube and listen to people singing songs about how to learn a little melody to help you learn the books of the Bible, just as an aside. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, now look at how he refers to himself, the prisoner of the Lord, meaning I'm, in, I'm in, indebted to him because he's the one who gave his life for me. What other th- use for my life would there be then to serve him? 
Anyway, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, I beg you that you would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. You were given a mission. You weren't just saved, become a part of God's family, and then told, okay, just go piss away the rest of your life. Don't have any concern for how you would invest the rest of the time that I've given you. God didn't do that. He said, I'm now going to give you some very clear and obvious direction about how you could use the rest of your life in a way that would be worthwhile. I'm going to give you a mission, a mission to shine the light on me. Magnify me means to make him bigger. Exalt him means to lift him up. To glorify him means to shine the light of your life on him. That's the mission that I'm going to give you. And that's what he means by walk worthy of the Lord. Now, if you... Look at Colossians here. That's so Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, two two more books to your right. Colossians one. This is a little longer section, verses ten through twelve. Same idea though. Counted worthy, using your life in a way that would be worthwhile. Colossians one ten, Paul says this is his desire for these believers that you may walk worthy of the Lord in a way that is honorable, in a way that brings God glory. It's valuable, it's worthwhile, it's right that you'd walk in a right way, an honorable way, a valuable way that's, that brings God glory. Now, fully pleasing to him, if you didn't know what it meant, he kind of restates the same thing. Walk in a way that's fully pleasing to him. That's the worthy walk, being counted worthy. Being fruitful in every good work, meaning that God has a a purpose and a plan for your life. It's that you would be fruitful, not because you would be doing anything, but you'd be allowing Him to bear fruit in your life. You would be a conduit for His power to work, for His light to shine. You would effectively be an instrument that God could use to accomplish His purposes. So you would be fruitful in every good work. You were created for good works. You don't work your way to heaven, but you were created for good works so that people could see God's goodness in and through you. That was your, a, a part of your mission. That was a part of your testimony to other people is that you would do good because God is good so that you would see, they would see Him in you being fruitful in every good work and what you're supposed to be growing in your faith, increasing in the knowledge of God. What else is involved in this? You're being strengthened. Strengthened by what? Your own independence? No, dependence on God and His Spirit working inside of you. Is there anything you can't do when God's on your side? No. So strengthened with all might, not just some might, all might. I can do all things through who? Christ who strengthens me. Now, according to His glorious power, don't start thinking this is about you. You haven't been able to get anything right in your life. It's about Him, according to His glorious power, for all endurance, that's what that word patience means, and long-suffering, meaning that so that you wouldn't fade away, you'd stay firm, steadfast, and that would be joyful. Now, thinking of all those things, you'd be giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the like. Did you qualify yourself to be a partaker of the inheritance that God has for, for His children? The answer is no. Why do churches all around this country claim to know Christ but then try to teach people that they need to qualify themselves, make themselves acceptable to God? The whole messaging of the church effectively is you need to do, do, do instead of focusing on what's been done, done, done for you. You could never make yourself qualified. I, 
I've mentioned to you before, but a man, I asked him, do you think you can know for sure that you'll go to heaven when you die? He says, no. I worry about that because I, I, I worry whether or not I'd be worthy. And I said, I got bad news for you. You are not worthy. You could never qualify yourself. But he's worthy. And when you become identified with what he's done, his death, burial, and resurrection, when you become identified with his payment on your behalf, when you be, are born into his family through faith in his work on your behalf, now you are qualified. Now you are righteous as God sees you, not because you are right, because you're clothed in the righteousness of God. Because you're now standing positionally in Christ. And being in Christ, now you are acceptable. You are sanctified. You are looking forward to being glorified one day. God wants to use you to bring himself glory here in this life. In any event, he's the one who qualifies us. The next one is back to Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. It says that, he, that ye would walk worthy, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. He wanted us to get in on this. He wanted us to be growing. He wanted us to be maturing. He wanted us to be transformed progressively over time into the image of his son. He wanted us though to walk in a way that would be worthwhile. To live our lives is all that means. To live our lives in a way that would be worthwhile. Now, I wanted to touch on this for a second because it's something that everybody struggles with to some extent, some more than others. But notice that our God would count you worthy. Our God would count you worthy. You notice that it doesn't say that other people would count you worthy? See, God's opinion or evaluation is what matters most. It's true that your testimony matters before other people, but that's not something you can control anyway. You can control whether you're going to walk by faith, keep your eyes on the Lord, let the Lord work in your life, and then He'll sort out the rest. But the idea is that your focus and concern is not on other people's opinion of you. We spend all of our lives focused on things that don't matter. In Colossians 3.23 it says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Our concern is, does God think that my life is worthwhile? That I'm living my life in a way that would have value, that would have purpose, that is honorable and right. What does God think about that? Not what, what do other people think about it? You need to entrust your reputation to the Lord. You can't go through life trying to convince people that you're a good guy. Truth is, you're not. Okay? But you can't try to convince them to have a favorable view of you. You need to be focused on allowing the Lord to undertake and work in your life so that what people see when they see you is they see Him. So ultimately, if people are going to have a good view of you, it's only because they have a good view of Him. If they don't have a good view of Him and you're a a living, breathing, walking billboard for Jesus Christ, a testimony for Him, then you're not going to worry about it at all. Either they're impressed with him or they're not. But what they think about you is irrelevant. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ. 
We're in Christ. Christ is all that matters. And so that's going to mean that some people like you, some people don't like you. Oftentimes the reason they don't like you is for good reasons. You haven't been very likable. Sometimes the reason they don't love you is because you haven't been very lovable. Now, can their views change? Could they be more forgiving? Could they be more gracious? Could they be more compassionate? Sure. But they're human beings too who are flawed. They're imperfect. So oftentimes they see you based on the things that they can see about you. And sometimes, frankly, it's not that impressive. It's not something that would be attractive to anyone. So then you could go about trying to repair your reputation or convince people that you're an okay guy or somebody that they should want to be around. Or you can give it to the Lord and you can say, I naturally will be all the things that God wants me to be when I'm enjoying Him. I naturally will be bringing Him honor and glory and living life that would be worthwhile when I'm enjoying Him. When I'm intimately relating to Him. When I'm drawing nearer to Him and I'm living life with Him and I'm giving Him, I'm allowing Him to work and direct and produce His kind of life through me. I'm naturally going to be the, one, the kind of man that God wants me to be and He's the one who can determine and find that I am living my life in a way that is worthwhile or, or worthy or honorable. I don't need to worry about other people, but too often that's how we end up wasting our time. God wants to radiate His light through us so that other people can see it, and that needs to be our focus, not anything else. Now, he gets into the second two things. They're much shorter. You have to read this into it, but the three things were that our God would count you worthy of this calling. The second one here is that our God would fulfill all the good pleasures the good pleasure of his goodness. And that's tricky language, but that's the second specific prayer request that Paul is mentioning here. And they're all, again, relating to aspects of living life in a way that would honor the Lord. Now, Paul is asking God to fulfill every resolve for goodness they have. So, again, it's hard to even get that out of that language. It's it's sort of archaic language there. But that God would fulfill Every resolve for goodness they have, another translation that's much easier has, that God would fulfill all of your good intentions. These are their good pleasures as it relates to His goodness, meaning that they're having this pleasure or intention or desire to live in a good way, to live in a way that would be honorable or would please the Lord. So that God would fulfill all of your good intentions. Now that's an awesome, there's, there's a really good nugget there. See, fulfill, it refers to completing, finishing, or causing something to happen. It, the verb talks about bringing something to its fullest expression that God would bring to its fullest expression your good, your good intentions. Now think about that. God is the one doing the fulfilling, not you. Isn't that freeing? It doesn't free you to never exercise a positive volitional response towards the Lord, never choose you this day whom you will serve, never make a decision that says, I want to draw nearer to Him. I want to live life with Him. I want to enjoy Him. I want to choose Him in the sense of, I want to spend time and involve Him and allow Him to be a part of my thinking and my life. You have to make those choices. He doesn't, he doesn't make you do that, but He can even help you with that. You can pray that He would give you those desires. You could pray that He would undertake in your life in that way too. But now once that's been done, God is the one who is going to let this mind be also in you that was in Christ Jesus. May the mind of Christ become your mind. So God, through the power of His Spirit, is going to give you His way of thinking. It's not even your way of thinking anymore. Now, as you're thinking the way that He thinks, 
You're going to be wanting to live life in a way that would bring God honor, would be useful, that would be worthwhile, and He is going to undertake to fulfill or bring to fruition your good intentions, which He's the one who's helping to make possible anyway. Now, tell me, who is the spotlight on when it comes to God's Word? Just you, you don't have to read very far to see this isn't about you. This is about Him working in you. This is about you making a decision to enjoy Him, to allow Him in, to live life with Him, to trust Him, to depend on Him. That's your choices. The rest of it is about God and how He wants to then take that willingness on your part to use it in a way that could promote Himself and keep the spotlight on Himself and make Himself bigger through you as a vessel, as an instrument, a conduit that the electricity, that the power is flowing through. You are not the one who's powerful. God is the one who is powerful. So He's the one that our God would fulfill all your good intentions. See, God's, Paul's request is that God would bring to maturity the faith that was already operating and working in these Thessalonians. They were responding. But any outcome of spiritual value, it begins with godly desires. I hope you see this here. That's one takeaway from this, that God would fulfill all of your good intentions. That's talking about godly desires, a desire to want to live in a way that would bring God glory. So the question you could ask yourself this morning is, do you desire, do you have any desire for God's goodness to emanate through you? Because that's Paul's prayer. Because why? Christ's return is imminent. Remember, that's our context here. The Lord's return is imminent. Now, the last one here, the third one, is that our God would fulfill the work of faith. That our God would fulfill the work of faith. You have to kind of read the grammar here so that you understand that you have to add that thought to each of these parts. But that our God would fulfill all the good pleasures of His goodness. That our God would count you worthy of this calling. That our God would fulfill the, the work of faith. Now again, focus still on our God. God's still the one fulfilling it. Now the work of faith, it refers to actions that are prompted or motivated by one's faith. Good intentions express an internal will to live a godly life. And the work of faith pictures the outward expression of that desire. The works, the works are the actions in our life that are motivated by one's faith. Again, starting with that internal intention, that internal desire to live for the Lord. Now, recall Paul use, how Paul used this phrase in his first letter. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 through 3, he says, we give thanks to God always for you all. We touched on this prayer already, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing what though? Your work of faith, your work motivated by faith. It starts with you have to have faith and be trusting God to then work in our lives in a way that would bring Him honor and glory. Now, how would this be accomplished or realized? We don't want this part to be lost in our, in our verse here. This would be accomplished or realized with power. You see how the last two words are with power? Therefore, we're praying always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling, that He would fulfill all the good intentions that you have, that He would fulfill the work of faith with power though. It's through His power. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of or for His good pleasure in Philippians 2.13 you see on the screen. It's God's power. It's God's resources. It's God who makes this possible. It connects and expands on the previous use of that God would fulfill. God's the one fulfilling this through His power. He's the power source behind this. 
And so you can't ever lose sight of that. So if you're going to summarize this verse, this is what you have. You have, so we keep on praying for you. We keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. So I hope that was clear on that verse. We move on to the ultimate idea that Paul is getting at though. Those three things all contribute though to this this prayer, this is the, the, the main prayer, the primary thought. In Second Thessalonians 1.12, read that. For what purpose am I praying these three specific things? That you would be counted worthy of this calling. That God would fulfill all of your good intentions. That God would fulfill the, your work of faith. For what purpose? That gives us that signal. It's a heine clause in Greek, but it just says, this is the purpose of those things I'm praying for, and this is my ultimate prayer for you, if you will. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul's primary objective and desire for these believers is that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and you in him. Worthwhile lives are promoting this outcome. That's the idea of having a worthwhile life. And as you think about the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's just referring to the Lord's dignity, majesty, power, uh, his character, his reputation, you could say, that the reputation of Jesus Christ would be made bigger by you. Instead of taking away from or undermining the name of Christ by calling yourself a Christian and having no interest in the things of faith, having no interest in Christ, having no interest in fellow believers, have no interest in God's word, never prioritizing or wanting to put the spotlight on the things of faith, that instead of being a detriment to the name of Christ because you're saying you're a Christian but you're not doing anything that would make God bigger or magnify his name because you're not trusting God, which starts from the underlying problem that you're not really enjoying the Lord, you don't have your focus focus and your gaze fixed on him. You're not looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And because all of that is falling apart, it just, it starts there and then it just rolls downhill and becomes chaos to the point where in your everyday regular life, when people look at you, they don't see Jesus Christ, though you're claiming to be a Christian. They see somebody who is in fact, in fact, undermining the message of Christianity because they're not being lovely. They're not being honorable. They're not being wonderful. They're not being somebody who is compassionate or somebody who is gracious. They're not being somebody who is a reflection of Christ at all. And so like, if that's what Christ is all about, I want nothing to do with it. So he's saying instead of that, let's live lives. The prayer that I have for you is that you be living your life in a way that would magnify or glorify Jesus Christ. That he may be glorified in you and you in him. That's the purpose, the ultimate purpose of his prayer, the glorification of Christ and the glorification of these believers. It's, it's you, it's him and you and you and him. Now Paul is praying that God's glory might be manifested in and through these believers, both immediately in this life and at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he returns. Now Christ is only going to be glorified or exalted in believers when they recognize Christ's worthiness and majesty. You're never going to have your focus on him if you don't see him as the object of your focus. If you don't see him as wonderful and awesome. If you don't see him as a spectacular God. If you don't see how wonderful God is, you're not going to be focused on him. You notice everything that kind of catches your attention? A lot of times it's because you you see it and you're like, wow, that's awesome. It, it kind of gets a hold of your thinking. 
And so as it, as it captures your eye, let's just pick something that you're into. Um, I saw one of you walk in who's a truck guy. Okay, I'm not going to call you out or have you stand up, but you're a truck, a truck guy. I know there's a couple of you sitting here, you know, big, tr- big trucks, big wheels, big tires, loud, loud trucks. Um, mine was like that until the exhaust manifolds got fixed recently. But <laughs> If you're a truck guy, just like if you're a snowmobile guy, just like if you're a what-have-you guy or gal, um, you see a big truck go by. It's big. Bigger wheels than your truck has. What happens? <laughs> oh, it's awesome. It's awesome, so what? So you keep looking at it, right? If you... If you find out where the truck lives, you might actually drive by just to get a look at it. <laughs> that's stocking, that's truck stocking. <laughs> Do you see God that way? Is he awesome? Do you want to keep looking at him because he's so awesome? You're just blown away by him? That's the idea. You're never going to glorify God if you're not awestruck by him. So it sort of starts there. And then as you think about being blown away by his majesty, then you're going to want to glorify God in a way that praises him or enhances his reputation. And that, you'll think about that with every thought, every word, every deed, everything that you think, everything that you uh, say, everything that you do, it can either make God bigger or it can make him smaller to other people. I mean, he'll never be made smaller, but in their impression of him. And which do you want to be? God wants you to have a life that's worthwhile, that's a worthy life, that's making him bigger, that's magnifying him, not making him smaller to people. And as you're identified, the second part, that's the part about making God bigger, glorifying him. But then it says, and him and you in him, that you'll be glorified in him. What does that mean? It means that believers, through their identification with Christ, they ultimately share or participate in His glory. And here's one passage that talks about it a little bit, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, he's talking about future glory. But he's also talking about glory that's revealed in us as Christ shines through us in this life too. It's not just all future-looking, friends. You end up wasting this life if you're always looking at the future. God wants to be glorified. He wants to have His glory shine in you right now, in this life, the most valuable asset that you have. So there's both the present and future aspects to the glorification process. And here in, in our passage this morning, he's writing to believers about the imminency of Christ's return. He's probably talking about primarily the present. The present expression of glorification involves the believer growing to be more Christ-like or to be more like Christ. You experience that glory of Christ in you as you grow to be more like Him because you're becoming Him. You're being transformed into the image of the Son of God, which is a glorified image. Pretty awesome to think about that. Now, the last thing, the last phrase, this outcome can only be realized as a product of God's grace. I love how Paul always comes back to this. 
God's the one who's going to empower this. God's the one who's going to fulfill this. It's God's grace that makes this possible. You see, according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So his primary prayer here is that we would live lives that would be worthwhile, that would bring God glory. We would be glorified in the process, but it would only be done as a byproduct of God's grace. See, the transformation of the believer both in the present and in the future, it's possible only through grace. Titus 2.11 says, for the grace of God brings, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's the grace of God that brings salvation in terms of man's, the penalty that man owned for his sin, owed for his sinfulness, and also the power that man can now have to have victory over the sin nature in his life and live a life that would bring God glory. Remember that grace excludes merit or works from the salvation process, the process of being saved from the power of sin, the process of having been saved from the penalty of sin. Paul says in Romans eleven six, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. It's either all grace or it's all works. It's either God providing for you and undertaking for you, or it's you providing for yourself. But it's one or the other. But if it is of works, then it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. And the flip side of that is grace is no longer grace. That's why pride has no place in the Christian life. Yes, you have to make a choice to let God work in and through you, but that's it. The grace of God is what makes any of this possible. You are a trophy of His grace. You're nothing special in and of yourself. You know that by now, right? I mean, come on. When you get that strut, a little peacocking, that little attitude of, man, wow, you know I'm every hippo's dream. That was a toy that my nephew you got when that movie Madagascar came out. There's a really arrogant hippo. And his name was Moto Moto. He said, you say it twice because it's so nice. But he used to say this thing where he said, wow, you know I'm every hippo's dream. Think of the pride in that. And McDonald's put out a series of toys that would say that every time you touched the thing. And my nephew was living with me at the time and he'd just go around hitting that button over and over and over again. There's no room for pride in this, friends. You're not every hippo's dream. It's the grace of God that makes this possible and we have to remember that. So counted worthy. It's worthwhile or worthless lives. Those are the choices. See, good intentions and good works are fulfilled by God's power. That's what this looks like. I want the right things. I'm praying that God would even give me those desires. Then as I have those good intentions, God fulfills those good intentions by the work of faith. Again, all by His grace, all by His power. And as a result, Christ is glorified in my life when that's true. And I'm glorified in Him. Now is that your prayer for yourself? That your life would be worthwhile? that you would be counted worthy? Is that your prayer for others? Is that, is that your prayer for me? I hope that you keep seeing through this series that there's a bunch of things we need to be praying about and some of them when it comes to these specific spiritual matters, we're maybe not emphasizing them quite enough in our lives. I know it's affecting my prayer life. I hope it's affecting yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this time we could spend here 
together. Thank you for this additional reminder of just some of the things that we should be thoughtful about and prayerful about as it relates to spiritual success. Pray that we would be counted worthy, not through our own strength, but as we have a desire to be used by you, to have you working in our life through your power and all by your grace. Pray that we could live lives then that would bring you honor and glory and that would, would be useful to the people around us, that the work of faith would impact others, that they would be able to see you through the things that we say, the things that we do, all based on the things that we're thinking, though. Pray that we'd have the right thoughts that are brought about by you working in our life and a desire to live life closely with you, to enjoy you, that we would remember that all of this is a byproduct of learning to enjoy you, live life with you, walk with you, trust you, depend on you, let you lead and direct in our lives. Pray that we wouldn't make this about ourselves. Pray that we would stay humble and we wouldn't let pride creep in, that we would see that apart from you, we can do nothing. Thank you again for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen.